Hi, my name is Michael Kramer and welcome to the We Make It Work Corporate Real Estate Podcast. Today's podcast is a focus on a topic getting much attention, the four-day week. And of course, this may be what bosses think is already happening with hybrid working. And there must be some implications for the physical office space. My guests today are Charlotte Lockhart and Andrew Barnes, who are the co-founders of Four Day Week Global. Before we start, is going to ask Despina Katsakakis, who runs our global and total workplace team, to just bring up some of the data from the experience per square foot uh, surveys that we do to reframe the conversation, because I think it's important that we understand how the four day week, um, how that might work in practice. And of course, it could have a pretty significant impact in the same way that hybrid working has on the amount of real estate that we all need. So we thought this would be an interesting topic uh, to talk about. Um, I'm sure you've got lots of questions that will come up as you hear from Charlotte and Andrew. But with that, let me hand it over to you, Despina. Thank you, Michael. And great to be here, everyone. Uh, I know you've heard us talk about the findings from our Experience for Square Foot survey a number of times. Uh, We have over 10 million data points across over 185,000 participants. So it's a robust data set. And I want to sort of set the scene just by beginning to look at the fundamental issue that we keep confronting, which is that choice matters significantly to employees. 94% of people want to have flexibility of schedule, that is the hours they work, about 79% of them, they want flexibility of location, where they work, and employees who are unsatisfied with their level of flexibility are over 2.6 times more likely to look for another job. So flexibility is a critical element, and you might recall this is a direct result from people feeling trusted by their managers to work remotely during the pandemic. What we've been seeing, though, is something quite disturbing, I would say, in that management, in response to underutilization of office space, have been delivering quite severe mandates for return to the office without necessarily saying why they should want people to come back to the office. So we're seeing some really interesting data from our latest um, data collection that shows that mandates do increase office attendance, but by a small amount, about 14%. However, what they do is actually reduce people's sense of engagement by 26% and a further decrease of 19% of employees' ability to do their best work when they're in the office. So it's a fundamental question that we need to ask, which is whether the short-term marginal increase in attendance actually makes sense against the long-term risk. And then if we look at that against the impact that we've been tracking on employee well-being over the last three years, This is where it becomes particularly disturbing because what we know is that mandates are creating much more stress for people. And we've been tracking that sense of well-being has been deteriorating consistently year on year. Uh, It was fascinating for those of you that live in the UK that yesterday 
in the BBC News, it was announced that sick days is at the highest level for 10 years in the UK. And I believe we're seeing just the tip of the iceberg of what these stress of new working practices are potentially causing people. What are some of the things that we believe managers should be addressing? Um, I often say this is not a space issue. This is very much a management behavior issue. And definitely we need to focus on upskilling leadership to ensure leaders are equipped to manage hybrid and flexible teams and recognize the diverse needs that their teams have to do their best work. We need to unlearn ingrained behaviors and recognize that there might be better ways to work, uh, one of those being potentially a four-day week approach, and really purposefully define how we use technology to facilitate asynchronous working and how do we use physical place and the office to make it most productive for us. We need to build cohesive communities and teams and to do that, it's important to focus on agreed outcomes and have collective accountability. And of course, the only way you can do that is by giving people a say to pilot, to test, to iterate, to take an agile and iterative approach to this. So engaging people to co-create the solution. And um, one of the reasons I was so excited to have Charlotte and Andrew uh, on this uh, session with us is that a lot of what they've been saying in the four-day week talks very much to these points. So with that um, context setting, I will hand over to them to shed some light as to what the four-day week really means and how we can all benefit from it. Over to you, Charlotte and Andrew. Well, thank you very much. Um, we're yeah, very excited to be here. Uh, we came to the four-day week space because Andrew crazily uh, put a four-day week into our business in New Zealand back in 2018. And you've probably heard that story um, in the media or elsewhere before. It was a huge success. And so, and, and that success got a lot of media attention, but also a lot of attention from academics and other businesses. And in the year, years, the five years that uh, we have been since then, uh, we have been working with uh, academics, working with businesses, working with governments now. So the big difference at the moment uh, for 2023 is the number of governments that are talking about reducing work time. And what we talk about, uh, which was in the title of today's session, is a productivity-focused reduced hour workplace. And so what we're talking about is if you can increase productivity in your business, you can reduce work time. And so it's not about, oh, let's just give everybody Fridays off and the business will be better. It is actually a business improvement strategy. But it is also fits in very much with the, the conversation that Despina is having around piloting and trying things and iterating. It's about these are bottom up strategies that allow people, you know, on the shop floor to help you design how they want to work moving forward. And that also fits into how many days you want them to come in. You know, if you need team building or collaboration time, what might that look like in the 21st century 
workplace that might be different from how it was prior to the pandemic. And so we're not really, I know we call ourselves four day week global and, and you know the name is on the tin. However, realistically what we're talking about is a meaningful reduction of work time with no loss of productivity or pay. So we have a principle which we call 180-100. It's 100% pay, 80% time, and 100% productivity. And that means that that can allow you, you and, your, and your clients and, and businesses that you're involved with to be flexible around what that reduction in work time might look like. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. So we're not necessarily talking about Fridays off because there's probably a whole part of you in the room here uh, and listening to this podcast who cannot just close their offices for, a, for you know on a Friday. There is a large portion of the people in the reduced hour workspace around the world who are taking Fridays off, but it doesn't work for everyone. It doesn't work for every business, but also it doesn't work for every person within your business. Um, and I'm going to give a, a quick story about a, a gentleman who works for Perpetual Guardian. He works five days a week. He comes in at 10 o'clock in the morning. So he's still working five days, comes in at 10 o'clock in the morning because he walks his daughter to school every morning. Now, we could give him Fridays off, but then he's only walking his daughter to school on Fridays. So it's actually about how do we create a meaningful reduction in work time that's not only just meaningful in the, in the number of hours, but meaningful to the business and, and meaningful to people. As you, you may well know, we run research associated with all of our pilot programs. And so we're not just making this up and it's not just hearsay. So for those of you who can't see the slide, we need to talk about it. over 90% of companies that trial a four day week continue it after a six month pilot. Now, some of that 10%, everybody goes, oh, but what about the 10%? Hello, 90%. Um, but for some of the 10%, they pilot for longer because they still need to organise their, their businesses and do things differently. Or if they shift away from some sort of reduced hour working, they take the lessons, back to Despina's point, um, and they iterate and they look at what is it going to look like for our business. Revenue goes up. On average, revenue goes up by 30 Six percent. If you think about it, it's not complicated. It might sound difficult because you, I'm, I might have to employ twenty percent more people. No, you don't. But actually, when everyone in your organisation is motivated to actually performing better, your revenue will go up. Your staffing costs go down. One of the number one reasons why people uh, do a, a four-day week or some sort of reduced-hour pilot. Uh, post-pandemic is to attract and retain their best staff. Absenteeism, um, back to Despina's point, about um, sick days in the UK going up enormously. Absenteeism goes on that goes down by an average of 72%. So you guys will know what the cost of absenteeism is for your own businesses. You will know what your cost of recruitment is. You will know what your cost of staff turnover is. And those are all being saved. Businesses find that they spend almost nothing on recruitment once they go through this program. Productivity goes up. And so on average, it goes up more than the 20% that you would need it to go up to just be sliding across and taking time out of your business. The well-being of your staff, if there's any reason 
to, uh, to, to do anything in business. Productivity is obviously key, but your staff well-being is very important, not only because we all like to be nice people, but also actually a healthier workforce is a more productive and engaged workforce. So it's not rocket science. Oxford researchers have done a comparison with the research for the of the top 500 in the um, stock market, um, the happier companies, the companies where their employees are happier, perform better on the S&P 500 and the FTSE. They just perform better. So therefore, the numbers work for you. Have a happy workforce, your share price will be impacted. And then sustainability is something that we're all grappling with. And obviously, if we're reducing the amount of time that we are engaging with work, we are using less resources. And our, our, our research shows that. So that's kind of enough about that. Um, and so I will, I'll leave Andrew to, to talk about some of the practical things that you might look at it. But what I want, want to leave you with is this little thought that as business leaders, we need to remember that we borrow our people from their lives. And when we take that as the essence of what we're trying to achieve, then we can actually jump in and have much better businesses. So let me go back a little bit. I mean, I, I always feel a fraud when I often talk about the four-day week because... I didn't do it for work-life balance. I, I didn't do it to actually broadly improve the lives of, of my workers. I actually wanted to ask a very simple question, which was around productivity, and whether that the way in which work was constructed around a, a five-day week, was that relevant for the way that we're working in the 21st century? After all, the five-day week, is largely credited to Henry Ford, um, and the argument then is he brought in manufacturing in order to, to improve the manufacturing processes um, back in the 1920s. Now, what my thesis was, was that actually when you started to look at data, and the data suggested in Britain that we were productive for two and a half hours a day, and there was some comparable research in Canada that said the Canadians were productive for one and a half hours a day. Part of that is understanding why productivity is so bad. A bit of that is about interruption. It is about bringing home into the workplace. It's about the fact that you're not as focused as you might be. You know, during our trial, when we implemented the four-day week, we found that internet surfing on the top five non-business-related internet sites dropped 35%. People started to think about being more focused on work because the benefit that they got was time off as opposed to spending just time at the office where there was no outcome or sanction if they weren't actually focusing on work. But the, the key thing is often the way we have designed our offices and the way we've designed workplaces are not actually fit for purpose when you start to look at productivity as being the key driver. The open plan office arguably is one of the great destroyers of productivity because you have noise level, you have interruptions. So when we implemented uh, the four day week, we didn't just see that employees changed their attitudes towards work. What we also saw was that there was an environmental change as well. So, for example, in an open plan office, you will be 
statistically interrupted once every 11 minutes and it will take you 22 minutes to get back to full productivity. So if you institute a process that enables you to have a quiet hour, that effectively delivers you know, three hours of productivity um, in an hour. If you reduce the amount of meetings that you have, and again, that's often because we create workspaces with large amounts of meeting rooms, and then we overlay Microsoft that believes that every meeting is an hour, and the net result of that is that you absorb a phenomenal amount of time into meetings. Simple experiment conducted by Microsoft in Japan at the time of the last Rugby World Cup was effectively to say no more than five people in a meeting, no meeting uh, longer than half an hour, please use Microsoft Teams. There are a couple of other things on the outside. But that delivered a 39.9% improvement in productivity. What we found in our own business is in order to reduce things like noise levels, we actually made our desks smaller. We removed things like breakout tables between banks of desks. We created little boxes that you could lock your mobile phone away in if, in fact, you couldn't be trusted not to look at the mobile phone. Statistically, you will look at your mobile phone once every five minutes. So, all of these little things often are around environmental changes that you can do that then enhance the productivity of the organization. Now, but at the heart of this is that most of these little hacks come as a consequence of the practical experiences of people in the organization. They don't come from the top-down promote post. It is people saying, what is it that's stopping them being productive? And how do we minimize those interruptions, those, uh, those things that impact productivity? One of the funnier ones for us, which caused us to create a larger breakout canteen, was the whole bunch of people said, if somebody is sitting next to me at lunchtime eating a reheated curry, I can't concentrate because my lunchtime's coming up in an hour's time and they are on the phone looking at something interesting on the internet and munching away at something that is very aromatic. So the net result is we then said no more eating of lunch at your desks, hence why the smaller desks, and moved everybody into a breakout area that then increased conversation and team cohesion. So a lot of this is not just about rethinking work. It is rethinking the workplace. So the workplace reflects the demands that you need to create a more efficient, more effective workplace for the 21st century. And more collaborative. Absolutely. We're seeing team cohesion scores and collaboration scores go up on average about 40% in companies that implement four day week. So maybe to wrap up, I'll ask the last question, and because you touched on it very eloquently, Andrew, but the idea of if the UK went to a four-day week, what would happen from a sustainability point of view? I guess my surprise in that is the fact that it's not talked about more in that light. And given the the, the climate challenge that we all know about and, and are facing every day. so. Can you just comment on that? I mean, is that something that, because that's something that everyone could push and become part of yeah, what look, they're, they're trying to do? 
I think where we were for the last five years was actually trying to prove that there was no adverse impact on productivity. And I think we've done that. I think that the data has come out. It's boring now. Every time we get a piece of research, it indicates that productivity isn't adversely impacted. In fact, as Charlotte said, it, it's actually improved. We are now moving that debate along, which is talking about what the four-day world looks like. And this is about impact on climate by you know, reduction. Um, if you reduce the way the working week works, the evidence seems to suggest low carbon activities occur on the fourth day. So productivity stays up, carbon emissions go down. You then look at things like one in four, one in five of the workforce at some point with a health or um, stress or mental health issue. That in turn impacts the NHS, let's face it. Not just have people going through the NHS or health systems, but also your ability to attract and retain medical staff. What happens to the health system if people are healthier and happier? They've got more time to exercise, they sleep more. Both of those have direct correlation in reduction of things like strokes and heart attacks again with an impact on the economy. Um, think about what happens if in fact you take 20% of cars off the road, what happens to uh, congestion? So we then talk about, you know, we, we did the calculation for Auckland. If you could get Auckland to free flow, um, that would put, you know, one and a half to 2% on Auckland's GDP just by eliminating congestion. So the big questions here that we want and we're starting to see governments come in to start thinking about this, is that rethinking how we work can actually make significant changes to the big challenges that are facing us in the 21st century. And that is the informed debate that we want. And, and we want to move past the just, you know, simple approach that people have looking internally in the business and saying whether it would work for them. What would happen to society if we made this change? And I think our view is that society would be impacted significantly to the better. Mm. And I think that in the end, I mean, let's face it, do you think that this is a, a trend that's going away? You know, I think we've, we have reached the tipping point on this. And so, you know, if, if you acknowledge that, then you really, we're just talking about when are you going to do it? <laughs> um, you know, we've, we've, we've talked all about why you should do it and we've talked a bit about how you should do it. And then we, we're just left with when. So, you know, right. to you, hopefully before your competitor does. Good. Look, we're, we're up on time. That fascinating conversation, um, Charlotte and Andrew, thank you so much. Um, and also Despina with the, with the data from XSF.